LegalizeFreedom.com Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is skeptical host Alex Sakiris, who joins us to discuss his book, Why Evil Matters, How Science and Religion Fumbled a Big One. For most in our post-enlightenment, post-modern world, the existence of evil is seen as little more than unscientific superstition from darker ages past. Bad things happen, but the idea of a supernatural force of absolute malevolence is pure horror movie hokum. But since science and technology have come to dominate most cultures, have we simply chosen to turn a blind eye to evil? Do we discount its potential existence in much the same way as we do the existence of dragons and unicorns? Sakira shares what he's learned interviewing some of the world's most respected frontier scientists and spiritual thinkers. He examines why evil is brushed aside by our science-centric culture and how new developments in consciousness research might point the way to a more meaningful understanding of who we are and what we are capable of. If evil is around us, and maybe within us, what, if anything, can we do about it? Hello and welcome, Alex, and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. We had a really good one first time around, right? So this ought to be good, huh, Greg? We did, yeah. Uh, if listeners haven't heard the first one, Alex, will find it linked up on the website page for this interview. We did a sort of swap cast last time, which was quite spontaneous um, because we were going to talk about your book and then we kind of ended up doing something else, but it was all good. I think it was a good way actually to to, to leverage into this one. And as I say, certainly listeners, uh, my website appreciated what we did last time. So uh, we're going to talk about a book of yours, which is just about to come out, and that's called Why Evil Matters. How Science and Religion Fumbled a Big One. And this is drawn from some, you've, you put this together with some uh, content from some of your own interviews, some of the guests and the cutting edge thinkers that you have on Skeptico. Before we dive into all that, just a brief word about yourself, about Skeptico, and then about how the book came about. Well, I don't know um, if there's a lot to add from last time. You know, uh, for people who are kind of hearing this for the first time, I've been I've been doing Skeptico for a while, and it really started out kind of more focused on the parapsychology consciousness area. So folks like Dean Braden, Rupert Sheldrick, and then that led me to, you know, the conclusion that the best science to really hammer down, nail down the consciousness issue is probably near-death experience science because there's so much really good science in that area. So I did a bunch of interviews on that, wrote a book called Why Science is Wrong About Almost Everything, which proposes that if you get consciousness wrong, 
and science has, then you can't really get a lot of things right. And then that really kind of shifted me and propelled me into, you know, if science is so stuck on this materialism, scientism, biological robot, meaningless universe thing, should we really assume that that's accidental? Maybe there's a a more dry, maybe there's a force behind that would, which would suggest more of a conspiratorial kind of aspect to it, which I believe is definitely in play. That was my conclusion from all this time. So finally, you know, as we talked about the first time, and I really like the way that, you know, we started talking about the evil thing and it being a lens. And I thought you added some really good points about that, about how the lens looks different, whether you jump in the philosophy camp or the religion camp or the science camp. And really, why are those lenses different? And maybe that is the 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 clarifying aspect that investigation of evil can bring. It can kind of force those lenses to come together. So, no, we've mentioned the word evil several times, not least of uh, because it's in the title of your book. Now, for the last couple of hundred years, more or less, as most societies on Earth, certainly the human species globally, have been moving away from any notion of the existence of evil. In the scientific age, it's seen as something that basically synonymous with superstition and with all sorts of misinterpretation of phenomena that people experienced in the past or attributing bad behavior, attributing negative events to supernatural or paranormal forces. You know, it's, oh, it's evil. So therefore, the, 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 the whole word in itself is purely just exists now, really, in most people's minds. Um, and the world superstition, something that some religious people still talk about, or it's in fiction. You know, you can have evil in fiction, but even uh, some of the most heinous serial killers, for example, of the 21st century, people might say, well, they were evil. But most people analyzing the situation don't really think that there's any reality to evil. They just think that they were inhuman people. They were, you know, degraded, subhuman, basically, people. But the idea of there being any motivating force or anything that somehow has its own, you know, independent agency, again, is just seen purely in the realms of superstition. So in all the very different people that you've talked to for this book, who have all been guests on your show, they're all bringing something different to the table, but you're we're all approaching this from all these different angles and saying perhaps there is something to this. And this is what you hinted at a few moments ago when you were talking about, you know, is there something behind this widespread misapprehension of reality. You know, why does it seem that science and religion and philosophy, for the most part, are getting this so wrong? What could be driving this? What could explain the extent of this? Um, is it really a pure accident? Yeah, and there's really a lot of ground to cover there because first, uh, you know, your, your quite accurate explanation of the denial of evil is really you're talking kind of with the science hat on, you know, from one from that angle, right? So, and what I think, and uh, we covered this a little bit last time, when you really push past that, what they're really resting on is really, really bad science. And that is the consciousness issue. They're saying, essentially, science is saying, there can be no evil because consciousness is an illusion. You are merely an epiphenomenon of your brain. 
So anything that you would even hypothesize about in these extended realms beyond your physical being cannot exist. That's bad science. That's just not true. As we talked about, you know, it's double slit experiment, bad science. It's, uh, uh, as we talked about, it's a uh, um, placebo effect, bad science. It's just bad science. It's not true. And they've gotten away with it because it's very convenient. It's the shut up and calculate bad science. It's the like, let me just give you the iPhone. So when you when you look where that is resting on, that evil question, and that falls to the floor, then you have to reassess and say, okay, uh, could there possibly be anything to some malevolent force in some extended consciousness realm? Could there be some positive force, benevolent force in that extended realm? Could there be an extended realm? Could there be out-of-body travel? Could there be when people take... uh, psilocybin and David Nutt in the UK does, puts him under the fMRI. And instead of lighting up like a Christmas tree, the fMRI is is down at a lower level, which suggests that your brain is actually a filter or an inhibitor of consciousness. That would be one hypothesis that one could draw from that data. It is anecdotally what every shaman and wisdom tradition has told us throughout time is that consciousness is much bigger and we filter it down into our brain and we start getting data that confirms that. So wrapping all that back, is it maybe worthwhile saying science, you fumbled this whole thing of evil by just trying to deny it and waving it away with your hand? And that's not, that doesn't really work. But the other part of that that I think is particularly interesting, Greg, And I don't know if we talked about it too much last time, so it might be interesting to kind of dig into a little bit, is at the same time that there is this kind of denial of anything evil, and again, that denial of evil is also the denial of good, right? So science does not believe that there's anything such as good. They don't believe that you really love anything. Love is a social construct. It's a biological little meme in your head. There's nothing real because there's no meaning in the universe. And if there's no meaning, this is always a great one to me. Like, it's very easy to give to get a cosmologist to say, well, there's no meaning in the universe. And then if you take that down and go, well, is there any meaning in my life? Because think about that for a minute from a logic standpoint. If there's even a little smidgen of meaning in my life, and there's a lot of meaning, then there's meaning in the universe. If we all have meaning in our life, then there's a lot of meaning in the universe. But they will insist, and it goes back to consciousness, that since consciousness is an illusion, there can be no meaning. There can be no meaning in your life. So the meaning that you find, again, would be a social construct. It would be they're jumping ahead and saying they're they're creating a miracle. They're saying consciousness is an illusion. And then they're creating this miracle of saying, but it exists and you can kind of work with it collectively in your little group over there and you can kind of create meaning. Bad, 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 bad science. But I digress here, buddy. I'm sorry. But the, the, the wink and the nod part of it is our culture is saturated with evil. Our culture is 
completely and has been for the longest time, but is especially now really, really interested in evil. And you have to go on Netflix, go no further than Netflix or movies or books. We are really, really interested in evil. We're interested in that serial killer. We're interested in Ted Bundy, who says that he was in direct contact with a spirit entity in the extended realm that guided him to do evil, as does John, John Wayne Gacy, as does so many of those serial killers. So, ah, see, get, me, get me wound up there. There's a lot, there's a lot I've thrown on the table, please. No, no, of course there is. That's great. Now, the pop culture thing is, is very important. Uh, we'll get to that shortly. Just a couple of things I'll, I'll respond to, one of which I was already thinking, and then you picked up on it without realizing I was thinking about it. Uh, and that was, as evil, I spoke about kind of dying out. A good, as you, as you said, good died along with evil. It wasn't that evil was expunged and it was room for good because it's Dawkins' idea of the selfish, selfish gene, isn't it? That anything that you might do, any kindness you might do for anyone or that I might do for anyone is pure selfishness, really, at the end of the day. It's self-preservation. That's what it boils down to. So apparently, you know, even our relationship with our loved ones, you know, spouse, partner, children, parents, all of it is ultimately selfish about self-preservation. So there is no such thing as actual altruism, uh, despite, you know, the, uh, lots of examples of that in the animal worlds, um, which even atheist um, uh, natural science broadcasters will sit um, and narrating uh, these um, popular nature shows these days and, and talk, you know, talk about human-like behavior, even though they deny that behavior in humans, they'll talk about altruism and uh, apes, great apes, and um, then you go in dolphins and you know, all sorts of other creatures demonstrating, looking out for each other and self-sacrifice. Uh, but apparently that doesn't amount to good. So yeah, good died with evil. And second part of the thought was when I would have considered myself an atheist at one point, which would probably have been when I was in my teens, when I was you know, rejected um, organized religion, that gradually evolved into being more agnostic and saying, well, you know, I can't really know anything. But during that time, if someone had asked me, you know, was there meaning in the world? I instinctively didn't want to accept the idea that it was all meaningless. Otherwise, you know, what are we doing here? But I do remember using a phrase many times when I was much younger. Well, you make your own meaning. And I'm not quite sure what I necessarily meant by that at the time. But I think it was that it was more of an individual thing that you could find uh, your place in the world and find meaning, whatever that looks like, rather than looking to it from an outside agency. Because even I recognized at that time that we were all being told that there was no meaning. So if the world felt pointless and empty and the universe felt like a dark void of nothingness, well, you had to find a way of you know, seeking something in that that would get you out of bed in the morning and keep you going forward through life. So you didn't just, you know, <laughs> hang yourself, basically. So, yeah. Good died with evil and making your own meaning as, as a way I, I would have looked at the world at one time. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, a famous philosopher, uh, Albert, Albert Gamay said, uh, Com no, Albert Gamay, right? Yeah, said, um, there's really only one philosophical question, suicide. <laughs> if you really, if you really believe that there's, it's meaningless, then why perpetuate the meaninglessness? 
And then, you know, some of the kind of humanists who are really atheists will jump in there and go, oh, well, you know, perpetuating the species. Why? Why? Why would you do anything? So when you really vote with your life, you vote towards you vote for meaning. And uh, again, you know, the, the one thing I, I guess I stressed way maybe I overstress and I have a tendency to kind of pound on things. But it is frustrating when they kind of don't break through the the blockade that they have. And that's that it's an absurd fucking idea. You're a biological robot in a meaningless universe is absurd. No one believes that. And the fact that science has perpetuated this fraud is really the, the is kind of the more interesting part really to me at this point is not proving over and over again to people who can't get on board that scientific materialism doesn't work. It's the how did they do that? How did they get everyone to buy into such a wacky idea? Well, I was wondering, again, in response to something you were saying a few moments ago, is there room for evil within materialism? It seems clearly that, according to materialists anyway, that there is not. But what's in a name? For example, you know, science likes to name things in lieu of understanding them. You know, lots of things that has done a lot to explain phenomena that have been accounted for. And on many levels, we know what they're called. Uh, but the name in itself doesn't explain anything. I think I mentioned in our last talk, I certainly have mentioned it many times over the years. I've given the examples of dark matter and dark energy. Science um, scientists give what they're observing or what there is being implied to exist. They give it a name. And, oh, well, we know what it is. It's dark energy. That's just nothing. It's just calling something. You've no idea if it's actually there or not calling it dark energy. So, what people would refer to as evil in the past, the phenomena that medieval peasants would have called evil, has all of that disappeared from this 3D reality? Well, no, it hasn't. So we call it something different. And it, it occurs to me, you know, just bad stuff, um, bad people, you know, unfortunate events. It occurs to me that then we're more or less not denying that there's evil per se, but that were what would have been called evil once were just attributing different origins to it, you know, different you know mechanics behind it. So where there might have been different levels, as you say, into the you know extended consciousness realms for peoples down the millennia, when trying to account for evil in the world, for us like everything else, like good as we spoke about, then everything bad that happens, What's behind that is explained in the same way that everything about our existence is explained purely accidental evolution from nothing with no direction, no purpose. So good, evil, whatever it happens to be, it's all just it's just randomness. Yeah, there's a there's a great uh, reality power to what you're saying. And I love the example of dark energy, dark matter, you know, oh, there it is. Now we can dismiss it. And we said the same thing about the uh uh, placebo effect, you know, oh, I've now labeled it so I can just kind of cast it aside. And and that's why I titled it 
why evil matters. Because what I was trying to do is draw our attention back to the fact that no matter how you define it, it matters. And they've convinced you that it doesn't matter. They've done this little sleight of hand again. Where science is done, we already even won't bash on that anymore, but they've done the slight hand and said, oh, you don't need to worry about that. And then religion has, has done something different to it, right? And religion isn't the same cultural force that is in Europe over there as it is in the U.S. But religions throughout time has said, oh, yes, yes, there is evil. And let me tell you exactly what it is. Let me jump in the middle there and be the mediator between you and good and evil. So what I'm suggesting is that if evil is potentially a lens to understanding this greater extended consciousness reality that we must understand if we're to answer the biggest, most important questions, who are we, why are we here? Maybe we need to understand the extended realm in order to do that. That's my definition of spirituality. And maybe, just maybe, evil potentially is a way to look at that. Now, when I first started talking to people about this concept, I got kind of the pushback that that you just offered up. Not that you didn't offer up, but you kind of were, were circling around there, which is define it. You have to define evil, you know? And like in the book, there's like these examples. The Chapter one, chapter one, I interviewed a uh, FBI undercover agent who had been undercover for 20 years and had been undercover with, uh, with the NAMBLA group. If anyone remembers them from South Park, where they were kind of buffooned, it's these middle-aged men that go around and plan to uh, abduct and rape and torture sexually uh, little kids. You know, it's the Man Boy North American Man Boy Love Association, and he infiltrated them because the FBI was interested in the crimes that they were committing, and they had propped themselves up as a political organization. And they still do. And in the UK, they're, 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 you know, they're all over the place. They still exist, although they're kind of a joke now. So they kind of look in another way. But it's just, it's pedophiles. And, and in a couple of different ways, we have to really get into what that pedophilia thing is all about a little bit, even though that's uncomfortable for people. But anyways, uh, Bob Hammer, who is the FBI agent, said at one point, he, one, he was super effective as an undercover agent, man, and you talk to this guy and you don't really get it, but I can only imagine what that life is like. But he was an international drugs dealer, an international arms dealer, a drug dealer, gang member, all these different, he played all these different roles. And well, in this case, for like three or four years, he played being a member of NAMBLA. And he was very successful at it. And they, he got to the highest ranks, you know, of the highest ranking people had brought him in and uh, confidentially. And he didn't do anything. He just kind of planned these things. Well, at one point they went to New York City. And this was back when they had this huge toy store, Toys R Us, down in Times Square. And inside the toy store, they had this huge Ferris wheel. And as part of his little you know, adventure in there with these guys. These guys were hanging over the rail looking at these small boys, mostly some girls too, but mostly small boys, you know, five, six, seven years old. And they were talking about all the things that they were going to do to these boys sexually, but also just how they wanted to hurt them and the pain they wanted to inflict. And it's a point in my interview when the guy's tone really changed and you could see 
what he had held inside. And he said, Alex, if I wasn't undercover, I would have thrown those fuckers over the railing right then, you know? And we can all relate to that because we can't relate to that evil. And and that's why I started the book that way, because that cuts through a lot of the bullshit. You know, is is Obama drone striking a wedding party in Yemen evil because he suspects that there's terrorists in the group? I don't know. I mean, it sounds pretty evil, but at least there's some kind of there's some kind of political gray area that we could find cover in. It's hard to find cover with the NAMBLA group at uh, Toys R Us store in New York City. That looks more like just evil. And that launches us into the question of now we're past definition of evil because we can at least say we have a category of stuff that we're all pretty much comfortable saying, well, yeah, that, that, that's no other way to put that. That's evil. And now we can begin the conversation of what is evil, what is the nature of evil, um, to what extent are we co-creators or co-existers in evil and our shadow, to what extent do we need to try and overcome evil or fight evil or resist evil? All those questions can now be asked, but only, only when we get past this nonsense of just kind of denial of it and just pretending that it doesn't exist, which is where we're, where we're at or, or the, you know, very narrowly defined definition of evil that religion gives us. There's so many things to take from what you said to develop. I'll start with, we spoke earlier, you got started with, might there be some kind of agenda behind this kind of, wholesale apparent misapprehension of our reality and that extended consciousness is denied despite the subjective experience and the, 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 the amount of anecdotal evidence, for example, in the near-death experience area, as you mentioned, that's one of the best ones to look because there's so much um, anecdotal evidence that, that ties up with, with you know lots of other people's subjective experiences. But despite all of that, there seems to be this institutionalized organized concerted campaign to re constantly reinforce the idea that we are just these bags of flesh here for a very brief time with as i say black voids of nothingness before and after so who has an interest in that you can then extend that thought and ask as far as evil is concerned who has an interest in it not existing apparently so even though you talk about those nambla characters you know how degenerate that is but who has an interest in you or i or anyone else looking at that considering that and doing anything else other than just going oh yeah yes yeah, so real low lowlifes aren't they yeah bad guys they need to be uh they need to be taken off the street and put away forever but not taking it any further than that not thinking that there's something else going on and one thing that many of us intuit or, or even recognize in situations like that this is something here that's different it's not of us there's like it's like another species it's like a lot of people talk about this when they talk about um you know ritual abuse experiences and you know et abductions and there's there's lots of different areas 
of weird experience that human beings have, and they just talk about something unearthly. This is from somewhere else. This is not of us. There's, there's you know, this is not human, and you can recognise that in some of the, you know, the behaviours, in the thinking, in the the urges, in the drives, in those people and others in certain other extreme situations. So what is that thing that that cannot be named? What is that thing that we know it when we see it? But uh, you talk to most cops or most psychiatrists or most doctors or most politicians, whatever, most, you know, sociologists, but they'll, they'll account for it in a very simple materialistic fashion but they won't allow for that that sixth sense thing about it where that is that unsettles us all i think if we're honest about it well how would you answer that question greg how would you answer the question that you posed about the potentially what drives it who who has a vested interest in that uh well that's one of the things I think we're both working on really clearly is that's one of the things that I really that really came across in your book actually is is how what you've been doing uh, with your show over the years and you've been gradually you know being steered more in that direction you and, and I'm exactly the same actually what started out as a, a quest into extended consciousness and looking beyond the five senses it advances a pace and so much great work is being done we talked about Bernardo Castro last time and you know the work of people like him have you know great great work in bringing all this together in a scientific fashion. But then we keep bumping up against this dark underbelly. And I would say that along with yourself speaking to people, the guests on my show have had on multiple times Thomas Sheridan and his work on psychopaths, and it's just seeing something very similar to what we're talking about at work there. Right. You know, some, something unearthly. Something you know, evil. <laughs> there right. you go. Jason and and let's it. talk about that for a minute because Sheridan's really, uh, really interesting, isn't he? Because, like, there's a number of people that are because instead of dancing around it, you know, let's throw, let's go down one path because there's a group of people that are coming back, and you can find them both, like in my interview with Tom Zinzer, who is a clinical psychologist from Grand Rapids, Michigan. You can find it in uh, 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 Snyder. Or, or Sheridan, who did you just mention? Uh, Thomas Sheridan. Thomas Sheridan, I'm sorry. I, I know of him, but I have an interview now. I apologize for stumbling over. But then you know, there's also the guy, and his name escapes me. Maybe you can help me fill it in. The guy who was the uh, uh, prison psychologist uh, for the longest time and was working with uh, people in the system who were mentally ill and determined that the schizophrenic voices that they were hearing were better understood as malevolent spiritual forces that were praying and interfering with these people's lives. Okay. So that's the same finding that Don, uh, Tom Zinzer, clinical psychologist has, and it squares up with a lot of the MK ultra stuff. If people are familiar with that and the work that was done by the, the United States government and other governments. I did an interview recently with uh, Whitney Strieber, who uh, I have a ton of respect for Whitley, and he talks about his encounter with, as a young child, it's often with young children, 
and there's a connection to disassociative identity disorder. We mentioned Bernardo Castrip, one of his most recent papers in Scientific American talks about the connection between, potential connection between disassociation and this splitting and as a way of understanding consciousness inside of, you know, the paradigm he's working on. So let's jump there. Let's get past the bullshit of there is no evil and let's start working towards a hypothesis that could lead to some interesting kind of conclusions. One of them is that your consciousness can be divided in the way that disassociative identity disorder research has shown. And, you know, for people who don't know, who think that's not a a real thing, they now have fMRI data. So you can take somebody who one of their alters, that is one of their split personalities, is blind, and you put them in an fMRI, And their brain lights up like they're blind when they're in that personality. Hey, back to placebo effect, back to mind and body. You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't turn, shut your mind, turn your, re-fire your electrical circuitry in a way to make you blind. What's going on there? We need an alternative explanation. Go ask Tom Zinzer. And he's going to tell you that the, the, this disassociative identity disorder may be related to spiritual interference. And I say spiritual, and we don't know what spiritual means, right? Again, this is the problem. This is where I'm at with why evil matters, is that until we break through the bullshit, we can't even ask any intelligent questions because we're stopped right at the door of saying, we don't go there. That's that's unreasonable to even contemplate that. Well, it, it, it has to be. It has to be on the table. If we're going to creep towards any kind of answers, any kinds of truth, we have to be able to, to start talking about all this stuff. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at LegalizeFreedom.com. LegalizeFreedom.com. <laughs>